Welcome to take your seat. My name is Henk. I'm one of the elders for those who, who doesn't know me. Um, and I just want to communicate that Jonathan and Harry and Philip are on their way back from Manila this morning. So in, in our hearts, we can still pray for them for a safe travel back. And we trust that by next week, uh, Jonathan will be ready to join us again. So uh, we are busy with a very exciting sermon series. It's called Encounters with God. How exciting is that? Yes. And last week we started at the beginning. The first human being had an encounter with God, Adam and Eve. And today we're going to move forward to um, also a very old man or a man that existed in ancient world close to Adam, uh, probably in the time of Abram. So it's one of the oldest books in the Bible, and it's a very popular story that we never like to go to. And it's the story of Job's encounter with God. Woo! <laughs> so, what I would like you to do is to open your Bible at the book of Job. And we're going to do something together. And this little act that we're doing now, hopefully it's going to change your, the way that you think and your attitude towards this book. I don't know how many of you have opened the book of Job, but when we talk about it, it's like, oh, do I have to read through that? So I would like you to do this, and you, you're welcome to follow as I preach. I'm going to touch here and there on some verses, but for now, just look at your Bible or your phone. Look at the book of Job and give it a little kiss. <laughs> no, I'm serious. See if that can be the attitude of your heart towards this book, this story, this man, Job. Now, okay, I don't know whom of you have ever watched a theater production. Okay? Going to the theater. You know, the curtain opens. And the characters are on stage. And the story begins. And quickly you are drawn into this drama. And the drama just unfolds. And then usually there's sort of a dramatic twist in the story. And then the tension really starts to build up. And it builds up and you can't bear it any longer. And it builds up until it reaches this climax. And then someone does something and then suddenly this whole thing resolves quite quickly. And then curtain close. Character comes to the front. They bow down and everyone is applauding. And, and you are so filled with emotion, especially watching a drama. And then you go home and you your mind replays some of the scenes that you just witnessed there. You can't help but replay some of those scenes. And it makes you think. It challenges you. It challenges the way you think. I remember I um, watched a theater production at Artlop, at the art festival. And it was Afrikaans show. It was called Altijd Jonker. Uh, in English, always Jonker. <laughs> Jonker is a surname. It's a story about the poet Ingrid Jonker, who ended up committing suicide, drowning herself in the ocean. And the whole story was telling you, it, the drama was telling you the story of how she endured several um, emotional and sexual abuse in relationships with men, even as a little girl growing up, and how that has traumatized her, impacted her, and brought her to a place of utter misery, and then she took her own life. Oh, what a story. Who would watch that? But I remember going home, and there was this one scene that they had uh, the whole 
stage was filled with sea sand. And they had um, artificial walls set up on the stage. And they, they, then they had these male dancers. Yo, those guys could dance, eh? And this girl that was playing Ingrid Jonker would stand in the middle. And then all these male dancers would come and dance all around her. And one by one, they would have a little dance with her. And then they leave her. And then the next dancer comes. And he twists and trills her. And then he leaves. And then the next dancer comes. But every time they go around, they would kick up the sand. And you just see the sea sand going up. Such a dramatic scene. But so impactful. It was not sexually, no sexual content, but you knew in that moment that scene symbolizes what she was going through. All these men that had their turns. And I still today, and I mean that's many years ago, I still remember that scene. I still remember that story. I still know the story of Ingrid Juncker very well, and I didn't know her before the show. It impacted my life. It was traumatic. Why am I saying that? It's the book of Job. It's written in a certain style. It's written in a very theatric, dramatic style. So yes, it's a story of a man. But the way the text is written is almost like a Shakespearean theater show. And that's why sometimes you disengage with the text when you read the Bible. Because you read it as a story and then it becomes too intense and the, you can't see the point of all these dialogue and conversations. And then you get lost the plot altogether and by chapter 7, you're out. And you miss the greatest part. I'm going to take you to the greatest part today. So, curtain open, character on stage, Job. We're going to start. So there was a man named Job. He was blameless and upright. He shunned evil. He feared God. A churchgoer. A Christian, if we would say. A man of God. Godly man. Great guy. He was the greatest man among the people of the East. The greatest man in the Eastern Empire. Why? Because he was extremely wealthy. He had thousands of sheep, thousands of cattle, thousands of cam a camel, and then they mentioned some having also some donkeys. I still don't know why the donkeys. What do you do with the donkeys? But he had 500 donkeys. That was important. And then he was blessed with 10 beautiful children, seven sons and three daughters, his most precious treasure everything was just going great and then he had a custom because these children would feast together they had these parties and celebrations and then he would always when their children were celebrating he would go in and then he would sacrifice to god on their behalf just to make sure i don't know if they had a bit too much wine maybe at the parties i don't know why he would feel the need but then he would intercede for them perhaps they were sinning against god can you see how what an upright, pure man this was? And then one day, here comes a messenger. Job, the Sabians attacked us, and they took all the oxen. We're talking about thousand cattle gone. We we hear in South Africa about how sheep has been carried off in a truck. Then it's like fifty sheep, or maybe a hundred. We're talking about the thousand cattle gone, and all the servants have been put to death by the sword. That's losing your strength, losing your oxen. So here comes another messenger. Job, sorry, I need to tell you this. There was a fire from God. A fire broke out. And all the sheep, thousands of sheep died in the fire. And along the, with them, all the servants were killed. Get your scarf, choppy, Another messenger. 
Job, if that's, that wasn't enough, I have to tell you, the Chaldeans came and they attacked us. And they took all your camels, because they're after camels, those guys. And they killed your servants. What's going on here? I couldn't even bear the news of the oxen, then the sheep, now the camel. And here comes another messenger. Job, I don't know how to tell you this. But your children were having one of their, their festivals. And there came a mighty wind from the east. And it shook the foundations of the house. The house collapsed. I'm sorry to tell you, Job, they're all dead. Can you imagine what he went through at this moment? Can we comprehend the loss? Loss upon loss upon loss. I mean, if, you, if you're a farmer and you lose all your oxen and your cattle and your sheep and your... You lose your business. You lose your income. So let's get real today. Whom of you would still be smiley facey if you lose your job? If you lose your income? Your livelihood? Your strength? Your servants? There's no one that can help you. No one that can rebuild this empire for you. Nothing. There's nothing left. And on top of that, you lose your children. And then Job tore his clothes and he threw ash on his head and he went and sat on the ash heap and then he says the following naked I come into this I came into this world through my mother's womb and naked I will depart somehow he just had this wonderful understanding that I had nothing to start with so that's how I'm going to end then he says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away may the name of the name of the Lord be praised I remember when we had our second miscarriage after hoping and longing for having children, I remember the day when I, s I just knelt on the floor of a house and these words just came to me and I could, I could just praise God in that moment to say, Lord, you gave, but you take a, you've taken away and may your name be blessed. So somehow I could relate to some of this. But then Satan came and he afflicted Job with sores, painful sores from the... Head, from his head to his toe. And he sat on the ash heap and he started to scrape himself with pottery, broken pottery. Can you imagine that? So he sits there. Now, I think what the Bible tries to describe here, if I can translate it to us, is maybe the condition today that we would call man flu. Have you ever heard about man flu? It's a serious condition, people. Ask any woman, they will tell you. It's unbearable for a woman. To see a man lying there on the bed, coughing. <laughs> Honey, can you bring me some tea, please? I can't breathe. I'm tired. I've got fever. Can't handle it. You know, if you want to see a miserable man, make him sick. I, I'm a man. I'm, I'm going to admit it now. Men cannot handle it. We cannot handle physical suffering. So maybe that's what he had, man flu. And then on top of that, the unsympathetic wife tried to top that. You're in your bed of misery, hoping for a toast and a tea <laughs> and a rub on the back, my honey bunny. And then the wife pitches up to the scene, says like, are you still holding on to your integrity, Job? Just curse God and die. I can't handle it anymore. You make me tired. You make me sick. Just die. Just get it over and done with, Job. That's his wife. 
and he says, you are a foolish woman. Shall we accept only good from God and not the trouble? Have, have anyone ever wondered, but what about Job's wife? She also lost all those sheep and cattle. She also lost all her children. Can we have a bit of perspective around the wife of Job? Why she would be so unsympathetic? Because she still had a loss to, to grieve and to work through. And then came the friends of Job. From very far, they said, when they heard about the troubles of Job, they agreed to come together, these fr three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they set out from their homes, come together to go and sympathize with him. That's the mission. We're going to go and sympathize and bring comfort to him. Remember this. When you hear about your friend in trouble, isn't that why you go and visit them? You want to go and sympathize. When someone passes away, what do we do? I'm so sorry to hear about the loss. And then when they came and they saw him from a distance, the Bible says they could hardly recognize him. And they wept aloud. I always giggle when I see that in the Bible, when it talks about men weeping aloud. It means ugly cry. <laughs> That's me weeping aloud. It's uncontrollably. It's not a nice, very, you know, private weeping. It takes quite a lot to bring a man to a place of loud weeping. Can you imagine the impact of them seeing their friend like that? It reminds me of the COVID season. Me and my wife visiting Harry and Wendy that were staying in this little house here. And they were just lying there on the bed. We could only watch them through the window because we were not allowed to go in. And they were lying there like these dead bodies. They were just... And it broke our hearts to see our friends like that. To see the sorrow. And sometimes this is how we feel. We don't know what to do. We just And then they tore their robes. The Old Testament are all full of that. Imagine today. You hear sad news and you see just the buttons opening up. Tearing the robes. Throwing ash on their faces. Sitting down. And then the Bible says... They sat on the ground and for seven days and for seven nights, they did not say a word. Nothing. Because, they, because of the intense sorrow, the suffering. And I think in the whole story, that was probably the best thing that they've done. You know, when you go through something like that, all you need is a friend that will just come into your space, into your home. Don't meet you at the coffee shop. Come into your house. Sit in your pain. Sit in your sorrow. And please don't say a word. Up until then, it was quite good. And then Job broke the ice after seven days. And he cursed the day of his birth. May the day of my birth perish. And at night it was said, a boy is born. Oh, and it's so dramatic. He goes on, he says, that day may turn into darkness. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. No wonder by chapter five, you're out of the book, eh? That night, may thick darkness seize it, may no shout of joy be heard in it, may it not be included among the days, may or entered into the, the months, may those who curse days, curse that day. Are there some people that curse days? There seems to be this population of people that have the habit of cursing days. Let them curse that day, he says. For he did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. I can sort of relate to this because I'm, gonna, I'm about to change my birthday from July to February. So in a way, I think I'm also cursing my birthday. And I imagine me having a 
February summer pool party, and I'm going to sit on that big, big pink flamingo on the swimming pool, and I'm just going to lie there in the sun, and I'm going to have a little drink with this umbrella like that, you know, have a nice sip. Well, it's going to be lovely, and we're going to have a nice American barbecue. Why? First of all, I don't like the winter. I don't like having a birthday in the winter. It's very cold and unpleasant. But maybe the real reason why is three years ago, 2020, during lockdown, my dad passed away on the day before my birthday. On the Sunday, we were still gathering with some of our friends who are here today. We had a wonderful lunch, but I knew the time came. And I remember saying to my wife, I know you had a surprise in, in terms of a chocolate cake. You better bring it out because we don't have a lot of time. And I remember still having that bite of chocolate cake when we got the, the, the news. My dad passed away. Now, I know some of you might immediately after the service come and sympathize with me and start to explain it and talk it better. And you're going to say, but at least, at least you will always remember your dad. Yes, I will. We made sure of that. At least, there's always this at least, and we can't always come up with these at least, but we've got these reasons why we try to talk it better. I'm sorry to break the news, but it doesn't matter what you say. For me at the moment, it's unpleasant, and my plan is to change it to another day. I'm going to celebrate on another day. Maybe later I will celebrate back in July, but for now, no. It doesn't matter how you're going to talk it better. It's not changing the way I feel. And that's how he felt, but I think worse. And then he started to get to the place where he asked the why question. Have you ever got to a place in your life where you started to ask why? Why did I per not perish at birth as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I have to be nursed? Why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw day or light? Why me, Lord? Why this suffering, Lord? Why this? Why me? And maybe that was the cue for the friends to say, well, let's, let's help him out because we know the answer. Don't we all, you know? You walk into a situation, people go through extreme suffering, and somehow you, you think you know instinctively what the answer is. We try to trace the course. It must be that. It must be that. You know, uh, maybe you have sinned. Maybe you've done something wrong. Maybe you've eaten the wrong thing. Maybe, uh, what did you eat last night? Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that. Oh, maybe it's you've got a grandmother that's been involved in Freemasonry. That's why. And we all have the stories of why, and we come with these answers, hoping that it's going to bring ease to the pain. Friend number one, Eliphaz, speeches up. He says things like, a word came to me secretly, a whisper, a dream, a voice. And it said to me some things, and I'm saying to you, listen to me, Job, and I will explain to you. I will tell you what I've seen, what wise men have declared to me. And he sums it up like this. He says, all the days of the wicked man, he suffers torment. Let me explain to you why he's suffering. You wicked, Job. Call out if you will, but no one will answer you, Job. Only if I knew where to find him. Have you ever tried to cheer someone up or bring a solution and they just go right back into the pain like they, they, they don't even hear or see any hope or any answer? He says, blessed is the man who God, uh, uh, whom God corrects. 
Don't despise the discipline of the Almighty. Submit to God and prosperity will come back to you. Job, will, Job said, I will not keep silent. I will speak out of the anguish of my spirit. I will complain with bitterness of my soul. Oh, that God would willingly crush me and let me loose out of his hand and cut me off. Can I just die? Why did you make me your target, Lord? Have I become a burden to you, Lord? So he's just going on and on and on. doesn't matter what his friend is saying. But what is this friend actually saying? He's saying the following. If you study all the words that he's been speaking and actually made three speeches, he says, this transcendent God who is above and beyond creation couldn't be bothered about sinful people. He's too busy with more important things, Job. So you, you must be, be grateful that this God, this transcendent God is actually bothered with you, spending time and wasting his time on you, allowing suffering as a way of disciplining you so that you can become a better person. You must be grateful, Job, that this God is actually bothering his effort with you. Friend number two, Bildad. Does God prefer justice? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty they deserved. How's that for sympathy? Job says, well, if it's a matter of justice, who will summon him? Even if I summoned him and he responded, I don't believe he will give me a hearing. He, he takes a whole chapter on talking, he, he uses um, law language, court languages. And that was ancient civilization. They were not as undeveloped as we think they were. So by the way, he says, if someone would just come and arbitrate between us, lay his hand on both of us and then free me from the rod of God and free me from this torment. Can someone just free me from this torment? And Bildad says, Job, the lamp, of the, the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. Don't you get it? If you're a wicked man, you're not going to last. Your fire is, is put out. The memory of him perishes on the earth. Terrors um, startle him. Calamity and is hungry for him. Disaster is ready for him. If you're a wicked man, all these things is what you deserve. So what is he actually saying? Now let's before that, let's see how Job responds. He asks this question, he says, well, how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? Is it always when someone is wicked that they perish? Or is it just me? Is it always that when children sin against God that they were taken away? Why does the wicked then grow old and see their grandchildren established? Or is it just my children that is taken away when they sin? Something doesn't make sense. So what Bildad is actually saying, he says, this omnipotent, almighty God cannot be argued with. So you must just accept the fact that you lost your children because they were sinners and they deserved God's wrath. Job, just accept it. Friend number three, Zophar. <clears throat> you say to God, my beliefs are lawless, I'm pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish God would speak and he would open the lips against you and reveal to you the secrets of wisdom. And he's saying in a way, if you listen to my words, you're going to get a lot of wisdom here today, Job. And Job says, wisdom will die with you. I love his response. You are worthless physicians, all of you. If only you would all together be silent. In another way, you would say, if you would just shut up. For you, that will be wisdom. And he says, Job, 
The joy of the godless is only for a moment. Terrors, calamity, floods, fire, all these things will come upon them. It's God's wrath that's for them. It's God's allotted wrath for them. Listen to me. And then Job says, well, how often does calamity come upon them? The fate that God allots in his anger. Does it happen all the time or does it just happen with me? Is God consistent then in this or is, is it just me? So what is Zophar saying? He says, this omniscient, all-wise God who knows everything, even knows that, that you might be sinning unconsciously. So even if you think that you're not sinning, God who knows everything knows that somewhere you have been sinning and that's why this has happened. Job, accept the fact that you are a sinner. Point. You're wicked and therefore you deserve God's punishment. That was the three friends that set out all the way to come and sympathize him with him and bring him comfort. Is that the way we comfort people around us when they suffer? Do we speak because we want to help them? Me and Lorna had a conversation the other day and she said something. She said, I don't think we speak because we want to help them. Sometimes I think we speak because the discomfort of their pain becomes unbearable for us. We just want it to make a go away. And then Job goes into the speech. He says, miserable comforters are all of you. How long will you torment me and crush me with your words? Same shamelessly you attack me. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity. For the hand of God has struck me. My face is red with weeping. Deep shadows on, on my eyes. My spirit is broken. Keep silent and let me speak. He's saying, it's God. Don't you get it? It's not me. It's him. He says, ask the animals. They will tell you. Ask the birds. Ask, ask the fish. They will teach you. They will inform you that it was God. It's the hand of the Lord. He has wronged me. If, even if I cry out, he would say, I've been wronged. I get no answer. Even if I call for help, there's no justice. This is unfair. And he says to God, why do you hide your face from me and consider me your enemy? It's like the words of Jesus on the cross, eh? My father, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, oh, that my words were recorded, written on a scroll. Job, 40 chapters have been written in the Bible. All your words have been recorded. Okay. And he makes these beautiful words. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Shame, man. The fact that he had to encourage himself. He had three friends and a wife who could build him up. He had to encourage himself. But then he says, only grant me these two things. God, withdraw your hand from me and take away this torment. And then he says to God, then summon me and I will answer. Or let me speak and you reply. I'm ready for you, God. We're going to have a talk. And then so the three friends departed from Job because they felt he was just justifying himself. And then this random young guy, Elihu, became very angry. <coughs> and we see him speaking. He says, I'm young in years. I thought, let age speak. Let them bring wisdom. But he says, none of you have succeeded in, in helping Job to understand that he's wrong. Inside me, I'm like a bottled up wine. I'm ready to burst. Can I just speak and get some relief? I'm ready to speak. Isn't that typical of a younger generation? They just have all the answers and they're always ready to say it. Okay, so, and then he makes this statement. He says, I get my wisdom from the Almighty. He's breath in me. And then he says this, he says, one perfect in knowledge is here with you. He just how's that for arrogance? I've got all the answers, Job. I'm young, but I've got 
I'm perfect in knowledge, let me tell you now. Listen to my words. And then he says, for God does speak in a dream, in a vision. He speaks in your ears and then terrify them with warnings. And Or a man is chastened on a bed of pain. Job, let me tell you, God has been speaking to you, but you didn't listen to him. It's because you didn't listen to God that you ended up in this bed of pain. For God does these things to a man twice, three times, and to turn them back from the pit. It's unthinkable that God would do any wrong. And then he goes and he says, God is exalted in power. Great is our God beyond all understanding. Who can understand how he spread out the clouds? How he thunders from his pavilion. He fills his hands with lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Thunder announces his coming storm. And at that my heart pounds. It jumps a beat. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice. The rumbling that comes from his mouth. Very dramatic, eh? Can he just say God is speaking? No. He has to add drama. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. What is he actually saying? He says, this majestic, almighty God is beyond our reach and exalted in power and righteousness and justice. He doesn't oppress. It's not him. It's because you didn't listen. If you only listened to his voice, you would know. And finally, the Lord responded out of a storm. Funny how they first had to come a storm over and above all the suffering. Storm, rain, hail, thunder, lightning. I don't know whom of you are, are like some of us in our family. When there's a storm, you get afraid and you just want to sort of hide in your bed when you hear that lightning like that strikes. So God first manifested in a storm that this guy was talking about. God says, oh, you're referring to the storm. Thunderstorms, lightning. Okay, let me show you. God pitches up. And then out of the storm, God speaks. Who is this that darkens my counsel, says God? With words, without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Don't you just tremble when you hear that. God says, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to speak to you and you're going to answer me. He says, where were you? Where I laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who shut up the sea behind doors? When I said, this is how far you may come and no further. Here is where their proud waves halt. God put the boundaries of the waves in place. Where were you on that day? So by the way, you know so much. Have you been there? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of, of water? Can you say, rain on me, and then it rains on me? No, you can't. And then he throws in something so insignificant. Do you know when the mountain goats gave birth? God is saying, I even notice things like that. You don't even know when the mountain goats give birth, but I even know that. Then he says two things, and I'm going to end with this. He says, look at the behemoth. Whom of you know what a behemoth is? Have you read that word? But the behemoth, which I made along you, which feeds, feeds on the grass like an ox. What strength he has in his loins. What power in his muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar. His sinews are tights, um, sorry, tight thighs are close-knit. His bones are tubes of bronze. He goes on and on and on about this majestic beast-like 
animal. Then he goes on and speaks about the Leviathan. Have you heard about the word Leviathan? And he says, can you pull the Leviathan with a fish hook? Tie him up with a tongue. And then he says, you can you put a cord in his nose? This is awesome. Can you make a pet of him like a bird and put him on a leash for your girls? Hey, he's a, look at this. He's a, he see, if you lay your hand on him, you will remember the struggle and you will never do it again. Now, in the ancient culture, it might refer to dinosaurs, all these beasts that, that God is talking about, behemoth, leviathan. You know, or if, if in the Eastern culture, if you were maybe, if, if Job were a Chinese, he would maybe recognize it as the flying dragon with the fire coming out of his mouth. Go read the rest of the story, you will see it. But here in South Africa, we know. God is speaking about a hippopotamus and a crocodile. <laughs> Come on. We know those two creatures. What has a hippopotamus and a crocodile got to do with anything that happened to Job? Absolutely nothing. And everything. You see, God knew what to say in the situation to silence everybody. God just draws attention away from all of this. And he says, just, just look here. Just look at up. Look to the sky. Look at what I made. Look here. Can you see the almighty power of God? Can you see the wisdom of God? Can you see the knowledge of God? Can you see that I am God? Job, can you get a new perspective? One word of God. And he, he uses something that's actually so irrelevant. Talking about maybe for us a hippopotamus and a crocodile. And it was so effective. Because Job says, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I will have no answer. Twice, and I will say no more, because I spoke things that I don't understand that's too wonderful for me. I realize now, I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. And then he says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I've seen God in my storm. In my sickness, in my pain. And when you see God revealed in your situation, something changes. And then he says, I despise myself, I repent. You see the power of repentance? The moment he repents, God says, okay, great job. Now get up from your feet. Now you go. You see these three friends of, you, you, of yours. They were miserable in the way that they represented me. They sinned. Now, Job, you do an offering for them. Pray for them because they've sinned against me. And then the Bible says when Job prayed for his friends, God restored his lot. And he became even more wealthy than he was before. His livestock went up from 11,500 livestock to 23,000 livestock. And he was blessed again with another 10 children and he became old and beautiful ending so my question to you is, are you only in it for God for the happy ending? Is it all about your prosperity and then you're happy? As long as God can give me my cattle back, then I'm in. It doesn't seem to be the emphasis of the story here. Or can you come to a place where you gain something much more valuable than cattle and all of that? Where you find God revealed to you. Your maker, your creator. So in this encounter with God, this is, this is what happened. Job suffered greatly, even if he was a righteous man. 
one of its biggest mysteries in this world. Why do good people have to suffer? And then Job suffered even more at the hand of his friend's words. The way that they hoped or tried to simplify made him suffer more. Shall we not be those friends who add suffering to people that's already in pain? His situation remained unchanged through the clever words of these people that spoke of knowledge, but without their wisdom to apply to the situation. But Job's situation changed dramatically when God spoke a word, one word of God. And it transformed. It's the same word of God in the beginning where it says, when the creation started, God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's the same God, same word. God's word has got power to bring change. Do you trust God for a change in your situation? It's not just God speaking words. It's not about the use of words and understanding and meaning. It's the power in the word of God that transforms your life and brings change. And here's the beautiful part. God never answered the why question to Job. Yet, Job was able to get up from that pain and to continue with his life and walk into the newness of the rest of his life, which seems to be much more blessed than before. Sometimes we get so fixated on the why question and we go into people's situation thinking and feeling that we need to give an answer to their why question. And even God didn't bother even. He says, let's put that question aside, but let me reveal myself to you. Let's close our eyes. <coughs> I want to quote the words of the song, and we're going to sing it now as an ending. <coughs> it says, we stand in awe of you. Here in your presence, we set our eyes on you. In this moment, you're going to have to make a decision to take your eyes off the pain, to take your eyes off your situation, off your challenge. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it is your relationship. Maybe it's your physical health. Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it's an emotional burden that you carry. But you're going to, in a moment now, have to make a decision to take your eyes off your situation and to put your eyes on God. And then secondly, the word says, we stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of you. Here in your presence, let our words be few. So for us to encounter God like Job did, we need to learn to become silent in his presence. We need to learn to shut up. We need to learn to let our words be few so that God may speak. And even if it's not for our own situations, maybe today you sit here and you are aware of people around you that are suffering greatly. Maybe at work or at home, in your family, some of your friends, people are going through stuff and you don't know how to respond. Then even today you're going to sit here and put your eyes on Jesus and you're going to say, I'm going to let my words be few. I'm going to stop trying to give answers to people for their pain. And I'm just going to be.
be still and let my words be for you so that God can speak. And that's what we're going to practically do. And the worship team is going to lead us into that moment. And so for now, how are we going to apply it? I want you to be aware of your situation or people around you. Just be aware of that. But then at the same time, be aware of God's presence. Job was aware of his pain, but he was aware of the storm. God was in the storm. I want you to be aware of both realities at the same time. And when we sing the song now, we're going to sing from our situation, from our pain, from our suffering, but we're going to sing into the presence of God. Let's sing together. Maybe just as you sit there, we're just going to sing this song. to give a moment for you to just listen to the voice of the Lord and what he's saying to your heart right now. Let him speak in this time as we are quiet before him.
Thank you, Hank. Uh, family, maybe give him a hand. I think uh, the way that he... Um, the way that he communicated this message. This is such a deep theological truth as a foundation for us in our relationship with who God is and who we are. Uh, and you did it so well. So, Hank, thank you so much for um, preparing well and for the way that you led the service. Family, we've come to the end of the service. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Um, I'd like to remind those that are new, I'd like to get to know about a bit more about who we are to join the Newcomers Corner. You'll meet with um, Pierre and Lorna. Um, so please join us for that. Um, also, family, don't rush off. Please join us for coffee and fellowship afterwards. Uh, for those of you that are going on holidays that might be traveling, uh, we wish you safe travels and a good rest. And if, you are, if you've got holiday, um, may you go with God and remain in His presence and enjoy Him as you go and come back safe. Uh, but fa family, rest of us, we see you during the week in our connect groups and we see you on Sunday again, uh, God willing. So um, have a blessed Sunday. Amen. Mm -hmm.